Hi, and welcome to Total Rewind, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast where we take a look at movies 30 years and older and see if they still hold up. I'm D-Man, joined by my co-host CP, and we have another great discussion in store for you guys for a movie from the 70s. CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. How about you go ahead and introduce the movie and we'll get right into the discussion. We watched Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Time from 1977. This is one of Steven Spielberg's most recognizable film, written and directed by Spielberg, starring Richard Dreyfuss, Melinda Dillon, and Terry. Now, this is a weird movie in that Spielberg worked on the script, which is interesting because most of the time he has story input, but he doesn't necessarily get a writer's credit. It's actually ironic. Considering we watched Taxi Driver a couple weeks ago, Michael and Julia Phillips, who produced Taxi Driver, also produced this film. And Paul Schrader, the screenwriter of Taxi Driver, actually worked with Spielberg on writing some of the early drafts. Interesting. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. What was fascinating, I had to look it up. I was wondering, what is the third kind? Now, now, <laughs> I guess that's a reference to Actually, the types, mm-hmm. yeah, to the types of encounters that people claim to have with aliens, the third kind being one where you actually see a physical form. Is that correct? That's my understanding. I had to look it up too. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what that reference is. Now, they do say close encounter in the movie multiple times, but I didn't hear anything that was a direct definition like someone's like oh this is a third type of encounter i didn't hear anything like that unless you know you the movie doesn't solve that riddle for you culturally close encounters of the third kind that term close encounter was probably popularized by this movie and it's often referenced in that kind of a sci-fi genre of like sci-fi realism Mm-hmm. versus kind of sci-fi fantasy, which is like, you know, hey, well, here's my Star Wars reference. <laughs> you <laughs> Can know, we Star go Wars an episode is... without you referencing Star Wars, dude? I don't know. You know, Star Wars is like sci-fi fantasy. This is like st- sci-fi realism. A lot of people who claim to have had UFO experiences also often refer to Close Encounters as the reference point for most people to get an understanding of what they kind of went through. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. They had talked to experts and everything before they shot the movie something i had never noticed did you notice the pinocchio theme song was built into the theme for this movie uh, i noticed it at the end when he goes into the ship it's like the yeah. wish upon the star yeah wish upon a star yeah i did not know that i guess it plays at the beginning when he's like messing with his like trained models spielberg said catch that he said that he wanted the feeling he got when listening to wish upon a star to be the feeling that he transferred to the movie and that the viewer would take away from it i don't criticize spielberg often but i did not get that so if that's what he was going for i didn't necessarily walk away with that type of uh imaginative open feeling of wish upon a star Uh, so i was like i don't know i don't know exactly what he was referencing there but it's built into the movie twice so it's very deliberate and he said that it was part of the inspiration for the film what did you think i did not get that either and when you listen to spielberg talk about this movie he talks about it invoking this sense of wonder just the the beauty in humans and extraterrestrials two different species communicating this emotional medium of music and he talks about it with such love admiration and you know that his heart was in this film i do not get it i watched close encounters before we watched it to talk about it this episode i think the last time i saw i was probably seven years old and it scared the crap out of me and it is still a terrifying film i think i think this is like a horror movie at its best i don't get this feeling of wonder and and fantasy and grand adventure that Spielberg wanted to evoke. 
Well, you know what's funny? I have the exact same feeling. I felt that a majority of the film, the aliens came off as terrorizing humans. Like They you- don't seem very friendly. They're abducting people. They're burning people's faces. They're, They're invading people's homes and te- yeah, stealing like, their fucking children. And their food and their Coca-Cola. I mean, what an asshole. <laughs> and it's, it's for a majority of the film, I was not getting that sense of wonder. It felt like signs. You know what well, I mean? Like, and I don't, and I don't know, maybe us growing up in Indiana and this movie is set in, you know, Indiana, you know, the land of like boredom and middle America, maybe it struck a different chord as us where as a kid, I was like, shit, if I go outside, I'm going to get abducted. Yeah. But even the end, like they're making music, right? There's kind of like this, I mean, ironically, this underlying tone that, I mean, at any moment they could just unleash hellfire on all these people <laughs> and take them out. It's like, they're playing around, they're having a goofy time. And then it's like, yeah, all right, let's get this over with. And then just, <laughs> like total Independence you know, Day moment. I don't know. It was weird because I didn't get this sense. But what I do want to say is I do get that sense when I watch E.T. the Extraterrestrial. I think Spielberg hits that note in a different movie. E.T., he's a friendly alien. He likes Reese's Pieces. He's just friends with a kid. He dresses up like a ghost. He helps everybody. I don't know. Like E.T. has that sense of an alien is just another being. It's not this... Thing here to take out humanity where I don't know I just I, I didn't didn't get that vibe here even though at the end like you said they make magical music and they end up releasing all the people they abducted thanks um, <laughs> <laughs> that sense of wonder was a little lost on me even upon rewatch I just didn't necessarily have it I didn't know this, but apparently Close Encounters made like a ton of money. Yeah, I, I, I read that. Yeah, like I was reading. Okay, so apparently Spielberg secured the funding for this movie, $2.7 million. And it ended up costing about $20 million. <laughs> <laughs> Spielberg, if you were convincing everyone that you can manage that budget, I mean, man. That is way over budget. By percentage, that's insane. The movie went over budget. I guess, so the, the original budget for the film was $2.7 million. To make the spaceship models... They spent like three million. So (laughs) right away, they're like, there's no way we can make this movie for 2.7. It's weird because this is a movie that made Spielberg a mainstay. I think his movie before this was Jaws. Mm -hmm. So after this one, he was now the hottest director in Hollywood. Everybody would throw money at Spielberg. He could make whatever he wanted. I think he did after this. I don't know exactly what his next movie was on his filmography, but I know after this is E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark, two of his most classics of all time. Yeah, You know, he's in his prime here. He's also messing with those themes that Spielberg often does of childhood like wonder. Early on, he loved to tell stories about forces outside of our control. I know later, you know, looks at realistic war, all that type of stuff. But here he's still playing with those themes of aliens and sci-fi and all that, where Stranger Things gets all their inspiration. <laughs> yeah, I, I think another interesting theme he looks at, right, in a lot of Spielberg's films, he addresses the absence of a father figure. And what's interesting about this is, this is one of his only films where he actually follows that father figure on their journey where they leave their family behind. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of an interesting twist twist on what he tends to do true true now when it comes to the effects in this movie how did you think they held up i actually thought it looked pretty good the scene where he is in the electric truck and he's lost on the road the ufo comes overhead and everything starts blowing i think that that is as an amazing a practical effects in in a scene as you will get today yeah it looks i love the way they're painting the sky it has kind of cool colors the smoke comes out i thought the spaceship's 
because they use practical models, I think they hold up across the test of time. They look good. It looks yeah. right. It doesn't come off to me as effects from the 70s. I'm like, no, it looks good. Yeah. The sequence where she's with her son and the and the aliens are arriving. I think it's amazing as you're watching their uh, appliances explode and their doors fly open and the screws come out of the, the vents in the floor. I, yeah. I mean, you watch it and you're like, wow, this is really amazing. Because filmmakers today would have relied on the CGI, which apparently at the time, this is one of the first films to explore CGI. And I guess Spielberg was considering using it. And after a little bit of time, he said, this is not worth it. We're going to get came around with on the, another the practical effects he came around on another famous movie called jurassic park yeah right um, <laughs> i think the other advantage to spielberg's decision though is he paints the ufo and i know he said this was a very conscious decision he wanted to focus on lights not on yeah. hard metallic surfaces and shapes and so because of that most of the time when we see the ufos we are seeing lights dancing in the sky and it works i, I yeah, think it looks really good i also think that tends to lend itself well to the overall concept of ufos Often yeah. they do just look like lights, right? They're just unidentified flying objects. People, they even make fun of it at one point where the guy like holds up the photo and he's like, hey, did any of you see this? He's like, well, that's a plate that I threw and took a photo of. A lot of the times UFOs, if people don't see them clearly. They're not these obvious metallic shapes that we can be like, yeah, you know, I could draw it for you and it looks exactly like this. You're like, no, I don't know. It was like a crazy light. But what, what happened was it was moving weird. You know, I've mm -hmm. never seen anything move like that. And again, Spielberg plays with that throughout using lights. He does it with the helicopters. He has, you know, things moving in the sky that you're not quite sure. But I thought everything, the effects turned out really, really well. He's doing things like he's making toys come to life to convey the sense of foreboding for what's happening. He's using kind of practical things to ignite our imagination. Lights, like you said, not just the alien spaceship lights, but often colors are how he's denoting where the aliens are. When they're in the chimney, the light comes down. When they open the door, it's orange and all that. Yeah, he, yeah. He's using lighting and color in a really cool way without having to show the aliens or ruin the movie's timelessness with shoddy effects. And he, he invokes a little bit of that Jaws experience in the sense that even when we finally see the aliens at the end of the movie, mm -hmm. there's harsh, very strong backlighting. So we don't get a good look at them. They're silhouettes. And it's used very sparingly. He did that intentionally. Another thing they do in that scene to obscure the effects of the alien, because they maybe weren't 100% confident having him come down and like shake hands and be an ambassador. They backlit the aliens so you can only see them sparingly from a certain angle. I even think they turned out fine. You know, for a movie about aliens and that's science fiction. Again, I think it holds up. I think the effects did not let us down here. I thought they did a good job. So when it comes to the score and the music, this is, of course, legendary John Williams. Eh, it's just all right. I think the score, <laughs> I, no, I think the score was okay, but it's funny because music is actually a big part of this movie. When they're venturing, I guess mysterious occurrences have happened. They're at one of the, I think it's like in India. Is that yeah. where they are? Yeah. And everybody's kind of singing out loud the notes that they'll use to convey to the aliens, meaning that there must have been a sighting there a while ago. 
I loved the conveyance of using timeless medium like music to communicate with beings from another world. I thought that worked. The five notes instantly got stuck in your brain, although I can't do them now. I don't do, think you guys want. Do, 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 do. There yeah, go. there you go. I'll be Thank the singer you. this time. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't want to ruin it. And that's actually but, very interesting. Apparently Spielberg and Williams had a lot of disagreement. Williams wanted to do a seven note sequence. I guess he wrote for Spielberg something like 2,500 different melodies. And the two overkill. of them went through them <laughs> and just narrowed them down until they found the perfect sequence. And they ended up with the one that's in the movie. Well, it works really well. It has a sense. It has a friendly, inviting tone. It's playful a little bit. And I think that to me was what Spielberg really wanted to convey at the end was this kind of, we're having a little fun with these aliens. They're having fun with us. We're just two sentient beings trying to communicate. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, music was cool. I like that. I think that holds up. That five note sequence is famous now. They could just put that in the uh, famous movie quotes. You know. <laughs> now, I had to ask you one thing when we talk about music. Is, was it me or is there a part towards the end when they're doing the music where the alien spaceship played the theme from Jaws? It's almost, was... it's almost like it when it starts with the really heavy bass tones and it's... Yeah. Yeah, you could kind of hear it in there. <laughs> I was like, are they playing Jaws? They saw Jaws. The aliens watched it. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, well, anyway, finally, let's discuss the characters in the story a little bit. I want to start off here by kind of continuing a conversation that you started earlier, which was the absence of the father. And he, Richard Dreyfuss's character, Roy Neary, actually, his family leaves him technically. He leaves to go to Wyoming to go to the mountain. Yeah. I was not a fan of this characterization. I don't know why I couldn't get on board with the idea that he would abandon his family in this craziness that is UFOs and the visions and everything that he's having. I didn't find the empathy in me to be like, damn, you're, you threw away your family. I mean, and then he gets on the spaceship at the end and he literally leaves. So yeah, I was I, like, I, don't I, know, always, I, didn't, I didn't care I, for it. I always felt the same way as a kid. It really disturbed me. And watching it now, I just kept thinking, so what you're telling me is these kids are going to grow up and they're going to be like 30-year-olds and be like, my dad just disappeared one day. Like, where the hell he go? Yeah, he was um, like a crazy guy. I did not like it. In a lot of ways, I think Terry Gar's character is very important because she's most of us, right? Yeah. Someone that we knew and loved started acting this way and becoming so obsessed with something that they couldn't explain based off of... Even when he talks about it, right? When he tells her he wants her to go to the mountain with him and look for the UFOs, he's describing it as you just got to see this thing. Yeah. We're Terry Gar. We get it. We're like, I don't understand what your issue is. I don't know what you're obsessing with. You're scaring me. And I understand that Richard Dreyfuss's character is coming to this realization of what he's understanding. And he has this total obsession in the vision that is Devil's Tower. And he's trying yeah. to, he's trying to, to get this idea out of his head so he knows what he's obsessed with but i just maybe it's because we don't get a sequence at the beginning of the film where we see that he's really a loving father who's truly committed to his family and his children i think yeah. in some ways he just kind of comes off as a selfish asshole i know that's yeah that's kind of how it felt selfish so what you have these visions you know whatever i don't know there's tons of things that we all see that don't make sense 
you don't have to leave your family over it. And like I said, his family technically left him, but at the end of the day, his actions and his craziness is what pushed them away. Well, and I, he, he left the earth, which is further than, you know, when she went to her sister's house. And I mean, he is, you know, communicating with her by phone. Like, when are you coming back? So that you get a sense that if he can kind of get his shit together, like she might come back. But instead he goes off deeper off the deep end. He's like, I'm going to Wyoming and like, I'm just going to disappear. And then at the end he decides, well, if somebody's got to go with these aliens, why not me? Even that, you have to parallel here with E.T. At the end of E.T., E.T. leaves. The aliens come and the family sees them. But Elliot, even though he doesn't want E.T. to leave, or for that matter, maybe even would have gone with him, doesn't. He stays with his family, you know, and E.T. is like, I'll be right here. He's telling him, just because you had this experience and everything doesn't mean you have to fly off into space. What's more important is that you be with your family. I think E.T. conveys that better. It comes off that way. So it was hard for me to get on board with his character, even though if I was just a single guy and could go chase aliens, I probably would. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that sounds fun. But, you know, it's like, hey, man, uh, you know, you got other responsibilities. So leave it to uh, maybe some UFO loner or some young buck. (laughs) Even the character of the mom, she loses her son. She's obviously terrified when her son disappears and when she has to go in front of all the government people and all that. But at the same time, you know, she's also driven mad while her son's missing. It doesn't necessarily come off that her sole mission in finding these aliens is to recover her son. She also seems like she is driven mad by these images and also wants to just see the alien. Maybe that's what the aliens did. But again, that takes us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, where if that's what the aliens are doing, driving people mad, they don't seem that friendly. No, like, no. If that's what's happening, then I'm like, no, I mean, I don't want to see any aliens. I don't want to be driven mad. So I don't know. They don't come off the, like the way I think there was supposed to be this sense of wonder or something. It's just, I don't know. It's weird. I agree. And when we look at the story, you know, as an audience, we're uncovering with Richard Dreyfus. We get a bunch of weird pieces of the scientific team kind of investigating these aliens as simultaneously Richard Dreyfus is experiencing it. Our desire to figure out what's going on. And as we're like, okay, these are aliens. Are they going to contact him again? What, how, how is this going to end is really the driving force we're trying to uncover the mystery. I think most Spielberg films are kind of more about the journey. This one yeah. I feel is very much about the destination. And as an audience, we want to know where is it going? When are we going to see some freaking aliens? He didn't disappoint in that regard. I mean, we do. The anticipation the entire movie is like, hey, can we get a better look at that spaceship? Because it was just kind of a light. Yeah. What do the aliens look like? Uh, are they ever going to come back? Are we going to make contact with them? Like you said, everything's driven by those questions and getting there. Maybe it's supposed to drive us mad the same way it does the characters. And we do want to get there, even though at the end it does deliver in that sense. And let's not sugarcoat it. The scope of the spaceship and the way it's shown is very big. I mean, it works. Absolutely. It's definitely done right. It just, I don't know if it hits all the right notes, which is uh, maybe the perfect way to end this because <laughs> well, they ha- there's five notes. You know, in, in defense, <laughs> nice pun there. In, in defense of Spielberg, he wanted to take another six months at ending the movie. In Columbia, they were struggling financially. They said, no, it's now or never. You got to put it out, which is why three years later, they allowed him to release the director's cut. And what's actually very funny about that director's oh. cut, it's actually three minutes shorter than the, the theatrical yeah. release. Almost never happens. Right? Normally, you get an extra 15 minutes of all the stuff that the directors wanted that the studios are like, nope, 
waste the time. This was really, the director's cut is really Spielberg's version of how can I refine this to the best possible version of this movie. Again, we're watching a version that the director himself was not totally confident in. You so know, much to the point that, did you ever hear the story about Lucas and Spielberg when they were talking about this film? No. So Lucas thought that this was going to be the biggest hit ever. Hmm, interesting. He was creating Star Wars at the same time and Spielberg had all his faith in Star Wars. So what they ended up doing is they made a bet where they said, I'll give you 2.5% uh, of the profits of each film. <laughs> so Spielberg ended up being the, uh, the, the big winner there. I think he made an, about $40 million on Lucas based off of the success of Star Wars. That's hilarious. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. man. There's Star Wars references everywhere. It's just the best. <laughs> that kind of takes us to the end of the conversation. We have to ask the question, does this movie hold up? Is it something that you would recommend? I'll go ahead and answer it first on this one. I would probably say no. As far as great sci-fi, I actually really liked Forbidden Planet, even though I don't know if I gave that a recommendation. And like I said, E.T., some of these other movies, I don't know, I, I think I would just rank them ahead of Close Encounters. So as far as the effects go, absolutely. I think the movie holds up. It looks great. You know, for a movie being made in the 70s, played fantastic on my big screen. Digital TV looked amazing. The model work, everything was great. But yeah, as the movie overall, I think Spielberg has better works. I'm going to go ahead and say no for this one. I'm in agreement. We know the impact that Close Encounters had UFOlogy for our, our popular understanding of aliens, right? So much of what he does in terms of the lights, the, the abduction experiences, even the look of aliens, you know, are a result of Close Encounters. This is what planted yep. those seeds in people's minds. But again, I never was on the same wavelength as Spielberg about the tone. And I think if you're interested in the fun alien movie, as you said, there's a bunch of those you can watch. And if you're interested in the scared shitless alien movie, I mean, you have movies like The Fourth Kind, alien. Signs, <laughs> Alien, Fire in the Sky, which are all much more horrifying and really we're going to make you not sleep at night. My thing is, I just don't think it hit the mark Spielberg wanted it to. And I don't think it holds up in the same way with audiences of today, where we have seen these experiences you know, played out tenfold. So no, yeah. I, I would actually not recommend it. I don't think it holds up in the way that uh, it did in 77. Yeah. Intriguing movie, great effects. But yeah, I think uh, it's just not quite, quite the same today. So anyway, I do want to acknowledge we have a friend who lives in Muncie, Indiana. And <laughs> Connor, shout out to Connor. If you've seen any UFOs down there, let us know. So yeah, well, let us know about your close encounters. <laughs> I mean, audience, what, what's your take? I know we're going to get a lot of hate, but what do you think? What's your opinion? Hey, I, I, I never want to slam Spielberg. Love Spielberg movies. Love Spielberg. God, imagine having dinner with that guy. I have so many questions. <laughs> you know what would probably happen? I'd have dinner with Spielberg and I'd end up talking about Star Wars. <laughs> you know, that's probably exactly what would happen. <laughs> I, that's probably what would happen. So I love Spielberg films and he's probably my favorite director of all time. So I'm sure there'll be more Spielberg movies on Total Rewind and we'll get to them at a later date. Speaking of future movies, next week we'll be taking a look at Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. So that's pretty exciting. I, again, another, it's kind of a creepy movie. I'm interested to see how that holds up. A lot of people have referenced The Clockwork Orange in both style and character. So I'm fascinated to see that movie again. It's been a while, probably about 10 years. Can't wait to watch that and hope you guys will join us for the discussion here on Total Rewind. For this movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, be sure to keep the conversation going on social media. You can follow us on all the 
major channels and you can Google Filmmakers Compass Podcast. You'll find the links everywhere you can listen to the show. And we are listed pretty much everywhere. So you can follow me at Big Kid D-Man and Christian at NDCal5. Throw it over to you. Go ahead and take us out. Hopefully you will experience no close encounters of any kind before the next episode <laughs> of the podcast. But until then, keep watching movies and we'll see you next week.